0: Today's reading comes from Galatians 1, verse 1 to 5. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me. To the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. My name is Fred and I'm part of the team here. And I am excited this morning because we are beginning a 27 week series in the book of Galatians. And I hope that as this, uh, this week and next week, you'll, you'll begin to familiarize yourself with this book and read along through it in this sermon series. This is an amazing, important book. They're all important books, of course. But let me just say, the book of Galatians had an extraordinary impact on the reformation of the church in the 16th century. Um, So much so that numerous people have called the book of Galatians the Magna Carta of Christian Freedom. And that's why we're calling this series Freedom in the Gospel." And you may have seen these on your way coming in. If you didn't, I would encourage you to please stop by the connect table on your way out after the gathering. This is a booklet that we have produced as as a team that will give you some information about the book of Galatians, sort of an orientation to the book, give you some of the the key terms, who wrote it, why it was written, and so on. And then there are... uh, Questions, community group questions that go along with every week of the 27 weeks. There's room for you to take notes. Um this is a great little uh resource that I hope that we will use. Maybe if you're a couple, grab one between you because we have a limited number. These cost us about six dollars to print. And so if you wouldn't mind uh if you're able to help us cover some of the cost of that just by putting a donation in the give box. That would be much appreciated. Um, With all that said, I want to turn to the passage that Sarah just read for us this morning, but I don't want to do that before we pray together. So would you please join me in prayer? Our gracious God and Father, we don't gather here this morning to acquire information. uh, get a better theology in place. We come to hear from you, our God and our Father. And I pray this morning by your Holy Spirit you would address us, your people, your children, that you would encourage us in your word, that you would correct us, that you would instruct us, that you would rebuke us, that you would call us i pray this morning that there would be some here who would be called out of darkness into your marvelous light through the word help me i cannot do this help me by your spirit to to speak as one who speaks the very oracles of god in jesus name i pray amen well a couple of years ago um I was watching a documentary. My, my girls just groaned because I say that a lot. I watch a lot of documentaries. And a couple of years ago, I was watching a documentary, and it was about this multi-billion dollar global industry in counterfeiting. Very interesting. And in addition to the usual you know, kind of high fashion products that we we imagine, you know, the Gucci and the the Saint Laurent and the Louis Vuitton that you see uh, counterfeited. I was shocked and I was angered to hear that there is actually such a thing as counterfeit cancer drugs, if you can believe it. Now, just with me for a moment, imagine this. Imagine someone in your family has been diagnosed with a life-threatening cancer diagnosis. And then imagine that you learn that the cancer medication that they've been taking for six months, that they're counterfeits. It's cost you thousands of dollars for this medication and they've been on it for six months and you discover that these drugs are counterfeits. There's no active agent in the drug to treat the disease. They're worthless. They're useless. They're dangerous. And all that time that they've been on these drugs, the cancer has been spreading. Imagine how you would feel If you you found that out, imagine how you'd feel. You'd be upset, wouldn't you? Of course you would. You'd be angry, and you'd be right to be angry. Well, let me just say this. That is exactly how the Apostle Paul felt when he penned the letter to the churches in Galatia. He was upset, and he was angry angry because if i were to extend the cancer drug illustration a little further paul is writing to people who are not just taking counterfeit drugs but they believe they're the real thing and they don't want to stop taking them now, let me explain what I mean, why I'm saying this. We need to, to imagine going back to the book of Acts for a second, because in, in the book of Acts, in chapters 13 and 14, we read about how the apostle Paul and Barnabas are sent out from Antioch in Syria. That's a, a big city in Syria, modern-day Syria. And they go out from Antioch, and they go on their first missionary journey together. And they go over to what is Cyprus today, and they go down that island, and then they go up north. And they go through what was the province of Galatia, the Roman province of Galatia. And while they are going through that province, they preach the gospel to various cities there, including Iconium, Lystra, And Derby, They preach the gospel in these cities. People hear the gospel. They believe the gospel. And so Paul and Barnabas stay around for a while. And they they plant churches in these cities. They appoint elders. They teach and they preach for a period of time. They strengthen these churches. They've, They've planted these churches in these cities. In the Roman province of Galatia. And then... They go back. They go back the the, the way they came, and they end up back in Antioch in Syria. And shortly after Paul and Barnabas got back to Antioch in Syria, false teachers came into these churches that had been planted in Galatia. False teachers came into these churches and began to teach and preach a counterfeit gospel. This whole book is written to guard us against counterfeit gospels. And that's what these people were doing in these churches. Now, apparently, what these false teachers did in order to kind of worm their way into these churches was to call into question Paul's authority to teach and to preach. They called it into question. They attacked his authority. I think perhaps they argued something like this. Well, Paul isn't really an official apostle sent from and approved by the church in Jerusalem. We are. We're the guides. We're bringing the official message. And in that way, they undermined his authority. And that's how they slipped in this counterfeit gospel into the churches. Well, then fast forward a little bit, about a year and a half maybe later. Remember, there's no internet, there's no email in the ancient world, so it takes a while to hear these things. But then through the grapevine, Paul hears, he catches wind of what's going on in these churches that he planted with Barnabas in the Roman province of Galatia. He finds out about these false teachers and the bogus gospel that they are promoting there and that's when he sits down to write to the churches in Galatia. Situation is extremely serious. He's upset. He's angry. His tone is, as one person describes it, a kind of compassionate rage. <laughs> so that's the way we've got to approach the book of Galatians. Why I say all of this is because we, we, we cannot approach the book of Galatians as if it's just some sort of theological treatise. I would suggest to you that you can no more read the book of Galatians merely as a theological treatise, then you can examine a live coal with your bare hand. Now with all that said, to duly prepare us for what we're about to get ourselves into for the next 27 weeks, let's turn our attention to the passage that Sarah read for us in Galatians 1, 1 1-5. If you have a Bible, open it up, or you have an app, go there, because I'd like you to follow along. I have three points this morning. They are the messenger, the message, and the mission. Let's begin with the messenger. Look at verses 1 and 2, where Paul says, Paul, an apostle... Not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are, who are with me to the churches in Galatia. With these opening verses, Paul is immediately on the offensive. <laughs> Paul isn't merely introducing himself, you know, this is Paul and You know, I'd like you to read my letter. No, Paul, from the word one, is on the offensive. He is, he's in the battle. He's going up against the false teachers from the very first verse, because what he is doing here is boldly asserting the divine origin of his apostolic ministry in no uncertain terms. Paul is telling these Christians in Galatia that he wasn't wasn't called to preach the gospel. He wasn't called to preach the gospel by mere mortals. Rather, that his apostolic ministry comes from the highest authority possible. His apostleship comes, he says, through Jesus Christ and God the Father who happened to raise him from the dead. Now, there is no authority beyond that. There is no authority above that. That's like one of those cards you play that just kind of finish the game. Remember, Paul's not, you know, Paul's not saying here, look at I'm I'm the bigger guy, I'm the tougher guy. Paul is fighting for the souls of these people in these churches. They're under threat. They're they're embracing a counterfeit gospel. And Paul is going to sweat and bleed over this letter to help free them from that bondage that they're getting themselves into again. Paul planted these churches. Paul loves these people. His compassionate rage is for their good. And the preaching of the gospel that he gave them in the very beginning is foundational for the church. And these false teachers that are are peddling a counterfeit gospel are attacking that foundation. And so Paul puts his apostolic credentials on the table. He, He defends his authority in order to defend the authority of his message. That's why he does it. Now, let me explain. There's a, there's a definition in the booklet, but a New Testament apostle is someone who has been called, chosen, commissioned, and sent by the risen Lord to preach or teach his message in his name with his authority. And that's what Paul is saying here in verse 1. That's what an apostle is. I think in verse 1, Paul refers to the resurrection of the dead because Paul remembers. Paul remembers what happened to him in Acts chapter 9 when the risen Lord abruptly confronted him as he was on the road to Damascus. The risen Lord met him, knocked him off his horse with a blinding light because of his glory, and commissioned him right there and right then to bring the name of Jesus Christ, to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. And that is what Paul is remembering as he communicates to the churches in Galatia. Now, let me just say this. Challenges to the apostolic authority are not limited to churches in Galatia in the first century. No, not at all. This is a live issue. This is a real problem for churches in Vancouver in the 21st century, too. It's common. I wish it wasn't, but it's common for some biblical scholars, they actually call themselves biblical scholars, and I regret to say even some pastors, to not believe, to not be willing to submit to the authority of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. Be on guard. I say this as a word of warning because somebody might offer you something, something, and it's a counterfeit. If they do not submit to the divine authority of the apostolic message in the New Testament, be on guard. I, I had teachers in seminary; I'm ashamed to say who did not believe in the, the, the divine authority of Paul's writing. And they would, they would kind of uh, pick and choose parts of his letter, maybe that, that were uncomfortable or inconvenient or they didn't like. Am I getting closer to home for some of you? Because that's our temptation, isn't it? We don't like everything that Paul says. I don't like everything that Paul says, but I believe, and I hope you do too, that his authority comes from the highest place possible. And and the problem's with me, not with him. And so it's not up to us. You don't have that authority. I don't have that authority. Nobody has that authority to sort of, you know, cut out the bits we don't like, pick the bits we do like, and leave the rest we don't understand or, or you know, don't, we don't think it's relevant, maybe. As John Stott reminds us, John Stott says, the apostles of Jesus Christ were unique. Unique in their experience of the Jesus of history. Unique in their sight of the risen Lord. Unique in their commission by Christ's authority. And unique in their inspiration by Christ's spirit. We may not exalt our opinion over theirs or claim that our authority is as great as theirs, for their opinions and authority are Christ's. If we would bow to his authority, we must therefore bow to theirs. That's the question that we need to ask ourselves every week. Am I willing? Do I want to? Do I believe it's best for me to bow to the authority of my maker and my redeemer? I hope you ask yourself that question as you come in. Because that's what we're doing here. We want to bring ourselves under the authority of the one who is all good. Who is all wise. Who has all power. Who made us in his image and redeemed us with his precious blood. That's what Paul wants here. That's what That's what verse 1 is all about. The messenger. It's not from man. It's not from mere mortals. He's an apostle sent from God the Father and the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Listen. Pay attention. That brings me to my second point, the message. Look at verses 3 and 4 with me, please. Paul writes, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins. If you've read the Bible for any length of time, you, you come to verses like verse 2 or verse 3, sorry, and you just kind of skip over them. Grace and peace. You know, those are, those are like the, the most simple monosyllabic words you can come across. You know, grace and peace. It's kind of like this casual, great, not at all. That would be a mistake. Don't skip over these words. These are big words, little words, but but big meaning, weighty, wonderful. Because in those two words, grace and peace, what you have is this, this beautiful distillation of the gospel message itself. Grace and peace to you. It's not grace and peace from Paul. You know, this isn't some sort of smarmy, sentimental greeting that you might get on a Hallmark card. This is grace and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Why does he say this? He he says this because he's a true apostle. He's authorized to make statements like this. Paul is authorized to speak to people on behalf of God. It's not merely his message. This is God's message to humanity through him. This is, this is the gospel. This is revelation. This is divine revelation. It's a revelation of Peace with God through the grace of God. Have I got your attention? Peace with God through the grace of God by faith in Jesus Christ. That's the equation, folks. That's the, the, the message that God is communicating to you this morning and every week as you gather. God's peace be upon you through his grace that he is established by nailing his son to the cross for your sins and raising him up from the dead. That's the message. Do you have another one that is better? No. I love it. Paul is pointed. Paul is Clear. Paul is specific because this only comes to us because Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins. That's what it says in verse 4. The historical event, that's what it is, the historical event of Jesus' death on a cross for our sins is at the very heart of the message that we proclaim every week. Jesus didn't die just sort of generally out there 2,000 years ago. A believer, a Christian, says, Jesus died for me, Jesus died for my sins. Can you say that this morning? Do you know that this morning? This is vital. Jesus substituted himself. That's what Paul is saying here. Jesus substituted himself for you and for your sin. He died in your place. Or as I sometimes say, he died the death that you deserve to die. Or someone once said, Jesus paid a debt he did not owe because we owed a debt that we could not pay. This substitutionary atonement, this substitutionary sacrifice is crucial to the Christian message, to the gospel. Take that out, you've got no gospel, you've got no grace and no peace. It's just all Hallmark card sentimentality then. Paul brings up this idea of substitution later on in Galatians 3.13 where he says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? By becoming a curse for us. This is the gospel. Substitution. And this gospel message, it demands a response from us, friends. We can't just hear it File it away as a piece of interesting information in a Google Google Doc in the back of our minds somewhere. It demands a response, a daily response, a, a complete response of our hearts and our minds and our bodies and our lives and our marriages and our families and our money and our time. It demands a complete response. So, how do we respond? whether you are not yet a Christian or you've been following Jesus for 20 years, the response is the same. Turn away from your pride. Turn away from your self-centeredness. Turn away from your sin. Trust. Trust. Not yourself. Has trusting yourself ever got you in a lot of trouble? All of you should right now say, yeah. How's that working out for you? Trust Jesus. Transfer your trust that you usually love for yourself and give it to him. He will not lead you astray. He has died. He has sacrificed himself for your sins. He loves you with an everlasting love. He is wiser than you will ever be if you could download the content of Google into your brain right now. This isn't theology. Theology is important, but that's the, that's the operating system in the background. What Paul wants from us, what Paul wanted from the churches in Galatia, is to love and be totally committed to and submitted to the good news about Jesus Christ. Because in that is life and forgiveness and hope and reconciliation and peace with God through his grace. Paul in Romans 16 says that it is this message and this message alone that is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes it. So my plea with you this morning is that you would believe it, that you would embrace it to your heart, that you'd 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 move closer to Jesus. And you'd believe that, is there someone that can give me that grace and that peace and that hope and that love? Because I know you have not and you will not find it anywhere else you look. And that's not because I'm so clever. That's because I read the Bible. And I've lived long enough to know that all those other things that seem to have so much hope and promise and excitement for me, dead end, dead end, dead end. Trust the Savior who gave himself for your sins. That can't be said of any other religious leader in the world. Nobody's done that. Nobody else has done this for anybody. That brings us to the mission. Third point. Look at verses 4 and 5. Paul says that Jesus gave himself for our sins. Here it is. To deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the mission of God that was proclaimed by the prophets in the Old Testament and declared by the apostles in the New Testament. This has been God's mission all along. This is the will of our God and Father. What is it? To deliver to save, to redeem a people, Paul says, from this present evil age through faith in Jesus. Now, as I read that, that's, that's, that's strong language. Something important that we need to, to get in place to understand. This is very important for understanding the whole New Testament. Paul is using language in verse 4 that highlights the Bible's particular view of history. Okay? This is important. The Bible has a particular view of history. It's, It's divided into this age and the age to come. There's two very distinct ages. That's the biblical view of history. I'd love to talk a lot more about this. This is very important. And come and talk to me later if you want to know more. But according to verse 4, Paul says that this age, this present age, is evil. Now, that doesn't mean that everyone is running around all the time, murdering each other like some terrible horror film. I thought that would get a laugh. That's not what Paul is saying. You know, it's not like the purge. But what Paul means when he says that this present age is evil is what John says in 1 John 5.19 when he says that this age lies in the power of the evil one. You see... This age is defined by the in, enslaving power of Satan, sin, and death. And apart from Je- faith in Jesus Christ, there is no rescue from it. Now, as I thought of this phrase in, in, in this verse, this present evil age, I just thought to myself, how do I make that, how do I bring that home? Because... We're, we're doing pretty good, right? I look out at you. You're all fit, good-looking, healthy, young. You know, you got pretty good jobs. You're paying the bills, right? You got family that loves you. You're making fun plans for the future. You get to go on vacation like many of you just did. Looking at you. <laughs> I mean... How do we compute the life that we get to live with what Paul's saying here? Present evil age? Huh? You know, that's not immediately and obviously apparent to us. Now, if you read the newspaper a lot, that probably should be apparent to you, but I, I can't take much of that. So, how do we get it? I racked my brain for a couple of days this week. Because here's what I want to say. I think things just appear that way. Things appear pretty good. We've got it okay, right? Paul's point here is that appearances can be deceiving. It's a little bit like watching. Um, it's a little bit like watching film footage of Parisians during the Second World War. Because if you watch film footage of Parisians during the Second World War, it seems as though life is going on as usual. You know, there's people going out with their friends to the café. You know, there's, there's people going to the cinema. There's people walking in the beautiful parks in Paris. There's people falling in love in the city of love. There's people going to work and driving cars and buying a baguette and some cheese. It looks like life is going on par usual. A little French there. (laughs) But let me just say this. People in Paris were as free as the Nazis allowed them to be. Because during that time, all of France, and especially Paris, was under the heavy, oppressive occupation of Nazism. And they were as free to go about their business as the Nazis allowed them. In fact, I would argue that some people made out pretty well for themselves during the Nazi occupation of Germany for a time. But we know, they know, they knew, and we know as we watch that video footage, film footage, that it was a very dark and dangerous and anxious and oppressive period. And in a similar way, this is an evil age. Satan, sin, and death rule over this age with an iron grip. And that is why the son of God came into the world and became a man and died on a cross for our sins. Here's the good news, folks. Through the ministry of Jesus Christ, through his death, his resurrection and his ascension, the age to come the age to come has broken into this present age. That's the gospel message. God is doing an amazing thing in the world that when people believe on Jesus, they are taken out of this present evil age. Not, it's not like, you know, God reaches down and plucks them out. But they begin to live into the coming age. Colossians 1.13 describes it this way saying that we have been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of God's beloved Son. And now, through faith in Christ, the life that we live by the Spirit of God is meant to be this. It's a preview of the age to come. If you want to watch a movie, what do you do? You go on YouTube and you watch a trailer, and then you think, hey, that looks like, that looks exciting. The music's good, and the, I like that act." The church is a preview, it's a trailer for the age that is coming at the return of Jesus Christ. If people want to know what God's will in heaven looks like, they ought to be able to look at the church and say, that's what it looks like on earth. People want to know what the coming age is going to look like, they ought to be able to look at us. In the midst of. That's the beauty of it. Our lives ought to be set off in glaring contrast with this present evil age because we are no longer bound by it. We're no longer under its oppressive regime. Jesus has set us free. We reign with him in the heavenly places and we live in that reality. We live by the Spirit, and that's why we bear the fruit of the Spirit. Love. Sacrificial love. And joy, even when times are tough. And peace, even when it's difficult. And patience, even when we're driving in traffic. And kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness and gentleness, and self-control. This is the fruit of the Spirit. Why? Because this is the evidence that the age to come has broken into our lives through faith in Jesus Christ. So that's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to do as a church. We're called to live out this way, not to have a better life, but to point people to this glorious fact That a day is coming where Jesus will return on the clouds with power and glory and authority. And that coming age will come in its fullness here. And sin and death and Satan will be cast down into the outer darkness to be heard from no more. And we live in that reality, not that reality. And people ought to be able to read that off of our lives. And that's what it means to be the church. That's what it means to be the body of Christ. Would you pray with me, please? Father in heaven, I pray that by your grace through faith in jesus we would know your peace poured out upon us by your spirit because he died for our sins and he rose again and he's reigning at your right hand and he is returning one day lord grant us to live free from the oppressive bondage of satan's sin and death and to live into the age that has come already in christ and will come fully when he returns and we pray all of these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver, please visit christitychurch.ca. We invite you to join us in praying that God's kingdom would come in Vancouver as it is in heaven.